this, the latest episode of Estranged. Super excited today to have a new guest, Kristen Davies, who is the uh, founder and CEO of GCAS, the Global Center for Advanced Studies, correct? Correct, yeah. That's, With, it, sounds, uh, it sounds a big heavy duty stuff, but yeah, that's more or less right. It has, it's a very like, it's a very, um, what's the word like? clear name <laughs> it's a pretentious it's very pretentious it's not like oxford or like elon yeah. or like wesley and it's just like straight up like american yeah. style like no fluff <laughs> i like it i mean you might as well just state well. it as it is um and with various degrees from various institutions like yale oxford da 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 da, da correct exactly yeah well you went to cambridge so i get <laughs> we have to we have to sort of revisit that rivalry maybe i don't know but it seems i don't know not so we all know which university is the best even though i really don't give a shit but like I well I was just... I, you know they, there is there is this ongoing debate like who's older oxford or cambridge yeah that's and, and, and it depends on how you clarify that but anyway oh, really yeah. no yeah. i was in um i'm in belfast currently and i was just driving through belfast today in this like really random area in east belfast and um you know, which is like marginally notorious, let's just say. And there was a guy uh, walking around with a, a Cambridge Blues blazer, you know, like a sporting blazer. And I was like, what the hell? What? It's like the most incongruous place totally. to be wearing that. But, um, yeah. you know, Cambridge yeah. all the way. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I should, I should say, you know, I actually didn't graduate from Oxford. I was just there as a, as a student. And then I, mm -hmm. ended up, I ended up going back to the States after I got a bit sick. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, so I was going to go, I got into Yale, but Calvin College offered me a full scholarship. And so mm -hmm. I, I went there. Now, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not happy about that necessarily now, but okay. Yeah. But you're in Belfast. Is that what you call home more or less for you these days? Um, that's a complicated one. I've, strangely enough, actually, um, I may have mentioned this on a previous podcast, not that people really care about my own life but um this is like at the age of 31 like amongst the top three longest stints i've been at home since the age of seven <laughs> what, what is it now three months four months five months five months. okay i don't think wow. i've maybe one or two times longer than that since you know in 24 years because of the parents jobs and like yeah yeah. where I went to school and everything so yeah. it is really weird it's this really weird like regression session <laughs> Let's just totally say. well you're you are really nomadic and actually both yeah. of us travel quite a bit and mm -hmm. being here and during lockdown uh, from March on I came back from London in end of February and I've been more or less here with a couple travels to Paris uh, on occasion but yeah I mean it's strange because I'm used yeah. to just being on the on the move all the time and I'm, I'm not able to be yeah. And you, where you, your base is quite rural, isn't it? I yeah, mean, it's in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Like I, I, I ride my bike to the store once a week to get like wine and cheese. So obviously, obviously France. Yeah, it's in France. Yeah, yeah east of Bordeaux, near Bergerac, which is where Jean-Luc yeah. Nancy grew up in Bergerac. Oh, interesting. Have you ever been to this part of the uh, this part of France? I know you've been to France. I, I must, I must have at some stage. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty yeah it's, i think it's got it's got caves that are like seventeen thousand years old with artwork in them it's oh, really right. quite nice yeah, yeah is that where the the you know the really famous ones are yeah that's right. like a famous one but yeah. yeah yeah interesting 
Yeah. New France so cool. is a good spot. Yeah. It is. I, I like it so far. Yeah. How long have you been based there? A couple years, like on and off. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. So, but I, I, I'm here and then I go to Ireland and then I go meet up with investors and students and do projects mm -hmm. and workshops at different locations. Awesome. It's really fun. Yeah. And um, we should maybe talk a little bit. So we're going to, the movie we're going to talk about is the world's most upbeat you know, jovial, encouraging, like escapist movie ever made. I love uh, it. Sorry, we missed you by Ken Loach. But before that, maybe we should talk a little bit about um, what GKS is, what it does, sure. what the motivation for establishing it was. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, you know, my good friends, Clayton Crockett, Jeff Robbins, Slavoj Zizek, and I were kind of discussing you know, what would a Frankfurt school look like in the 21st century? And this is like, you know, I got to know Slavoj at the end of the 90s and was writing to him. And we developed this kind of friendship relationship. And uh, through Clayton, I met Clayton Crockett and Jeff Robbins, who are into radical theology, into the Winchrist, uh, Jack Caputo side of things in the American context. And so we had a lot in common and we met in San Antonio and talked about like different projects. And, and invariably we would always come after like three or four drinks, come back to, you know, what would it look like to be able to determine for ourselves, like what kinds of interesting scholarship would, would could be if not confounded to the traditional like classroom, you know, Ivy tower, heavy debt, heavy, everything's all just, over the top, you know, corporatized and so on. What would that look like? And so, you know, we fancied a conversation many times and eventually, you know, I took it pretty seriously, which is what the, I don't think they were expecting me to take this yeah. that seriously. But in the end, like I, I got a job, a couple job offers and took one at Rollins just because I had two kids at the time. My spouse was going through divinity training to be a priest and and she, uh, so we needed money. And in the end, I took the job at Rollins College, which is this like upper middle class, like kind of posh call liberal arts college in Florida of all places and near Disney World. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so I took that job and taught classes there and was promoted to an associate professor after a couple of years. But then I just, you know, at the end, various life changes. My wife divorced me, uh, various things happened. And it was like, you know, I'm 40 years old. What do I do? What can I do if I'm going to do this for the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they called that the whole thing, the golden handcuffs, tenures, golden handcuffs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, I got more, I got more possibilities out there than just teaching the same damn classes over and again. So mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll propose it to Rollins to see what they think. And they, they were like, ah, no, it's too, it's too much in conflict with what we have going, you know, and they have their brand and that makes sense. So in the end, I just took out my retirement, threw it all into GCAS and put it together in 2013. In fact, in a couple of mm -hmm. days, we'll be seven years old. Ha ha. Awesome. So yeah, yeah. So awesome. it's, been, it's been pretty cool. Over time, because yeah, I mean, obviously, you touched on the, like the financialization aspect of education, yeah. and as somebody who has, um, you know, been a classroom teacher in like secondary schools and like taught in various settings, and obviously been a student um, graduate, well, that's a separate thing. I decided to abandon that 
graduate studies because I kind of various I mean it's you know why do we do these things you could psychoanalyze it for like endlessly but um totally. certainly like the U.S. obviously is notorious for the financialization, the debt burden on students, the kind of like proletarianization of, of young people before they've even entered the job market. And yeah. it has really crept into the UK. I mean, I think like I graduated with an amount that's probably half of what contemporary students now are burdened with in the UK. Yeah. And then when we think about the changing economy, the fact that, you know, nothing has really been well there are philosophers out there thinking about it but like they're not valued in terms of totally. what are the impacts of this new industrial revolution tech yeah. yeah the job opportunity i mean it's and how many people are going to university and obviously you know there's all the um benevolent interpretations of why we encourage so many children to go to university um in the uk there was a big push under tony blair but obviously the question is like well perhaps there were not enough jobs. So they ferried everybody into universities as a, as a, as a like a band-aid solution. Right. Yeah, no, no doubt. There's, there's a lot of models out there that kind of try to reflect uh, like the whole debt culture of education and all that. And the UK certainly has taken on a lot of that, like the, the Thatcher neoliberal, the Reagan style neoliberalization of, of mm -hmm. things, including education. And so, but yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a pretty big, hefty problem in the U.S. It's it's average debt is around forty thousand euro or mm -hmm, dollars mm -hmm. uh, for a bachelor's degree, and it it just goes up astronomically uh, beyond that. And you really do need like a master's degree these days, just which is equivalent to like a high school degree uh, from previous generations. And, yeah. You know why why is it that that's happened? We can we yeah. can, we can create so you know try to explain it somehow, but. At yeah. the end of the day, like, you know, I, I find that the whole structure of education is so important, education is, but the kind of education that's being done is like job training. And yeah, absolutely. It's not thinking, it's not creating, mm -hmm. it, you know, so it's a whole different Absolutely. Moment. And, you know, it's as soon as um, something becomes like, it, you know, it is like the capitalization of youth and like education is not about, you know, necessarily anymore learning to think. It's, no. It's, it's a rat race. It's a rat race from the totally. age of any time you have a public exam, you know, that's 11 years old in the UK and yeah. determining your future at such a young age. And I have to say as a, as a teacher and I was a, in a, a school that wasn't overseen by like government regulations and stuff, but like the pressure is immense, you yeah. know, the, um, how important it is to the students, how important it is for you to be able to keep your job. There was, um, the school was run by a very well-known headmaster who kind of um, was involved in like the political aspects of education and his legacy to the school. And I, you know, this is part of the reason why I left just the, it becomes, it becomes such a corporatized exercise and you know, it really detracts. All you need for, for good education is an engaging dynamic teacher who loves the subject and is able to communicate that and has a great knowledge of it. Oh. And um, he created his legacy was this, uh, center of excellence which was a building which was full of these classrooms which were eventually were like essentially like police interrogation Chambers. suites yeah. where they have you know the double-sided mirrors you have a classroom with like cameras where they film you and you can look at your teaching and people observe you that way i mean it's but of course as soon as money becomes involved and as soon as something's capitalized on you get checks and balances and this horrible managerial system oh yeah um and oh, like yeah. the, in the UK, the turnover rate of teachers is 50% leaving in the first two years. 
oh of that God. career. Oh my God. Yeah. It's pretty rough uh, to, in the U S as well, just teaching wise. And yeah. in fact, uh, something that brings us closer to, you know, one of our discussion points today, namely Loach's mm -hmm. film is, yeah. you know, just how, you know, the, the structure of social organization, not just through work, through family, which is, has to do with the film, but also in education. Right. And, you know, I, I grew up, mm, pretty much failing out of high school and education for me growing up in the context that I did wasn't valued at all. In fact, if you were smart and could read well and could pronounce complicated words with a multiple mm. syllable syllables, <laughs> you, you, you were suspiciously could be gay, right? And right. growing up in a very homophobic environment, yeah. you were, you were like, I'm not going to go there because I don't yeah. want to even be, you know, you know, be associated with these kind of denigrating, you know, you know, fascistic kind of belief structures. And, you know, it turns out like, you know, I, I didn't know I had dyslexia and I was told, I, early on, you take that IQ exam and they popped me into the third grade from kindergarten because, yeah. of, you know, and I, I come home and I get beat when I get home because they think I'm cheating on a test and I, yeah, you can't, yeah. you can't cheat yeah. on this test. So turns out like I was just so disenfranchised by the whole schooling structure, you know, you know yeah. uh, brick in the wall, the Pink Floyd thing. And so on conformity, <laughs> social conformity, obedience, yeah. and so on, you know, and, yeah. but for me, I, I excelled in athletics and I was very good, yeah. very yeah, athletic, like you uh, running cross country. Yeah. And but uh, in the end, I, I basically had to beg the principal to, uh, to graduate me from high school. And I went right off into the army after that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's really interesting because um, what you say about, like, I, I mean, I really personally didn't enjoy my experience as a school student. You know, our mutual friend, Peter, had a terrible experience. His is almost like the, the, oh, really? the opposite of mine. Yeah. It's, his is a long, long story. But um, I love he went to very, it, very... Uh, he went to essentially, you know, one of the worst schools in, in the United Kingdom during the Troubles at a time in a very kind of, um, uh, an area with lots of social challenges. And he just, you know, I mean, he left school with one GCSE and then it was only subsequently when he was at a technical college doing computer studies that somebody identified that he was smart. But, you know, the funny thing is, is despite all of these bad yeah. experiences, it's not, it's not like the learning and the knowledge and the content of the education that's a problem. And I remember when I was a teacher, especially, like, yeah, I think it was totally. because it was so stressful and I'm not, I'm not into this stuff at all, but I was, I got into quite like Jungian slash new age things. I was into like, you know, I really agreed with the lyrics of like the, the logical song from Supertramp and everything. Oh, but then yeah. it's like, but then the thing is, it's like, but I'm not like, I am like a very rational person and I really sure. enjoy learning and yeah, yeah. conveying knowledge and like yeah. thinking about intellectual things, but it's just the way that the structure within oh. capitalism has developed. It's just like, yeah. and there's so many things like that, you know, it gets commodified. It gets. Absolutely. And you're only yeah. considered smart if you or know how to take exams and that's yeah. easily relatable to how your parents prep you to for vote <laughs> memory and exactly. you're basically programmed guinea pigs to yeah. do well and i think the more smarter clever ones like pete rollins who mm -hmm. you were just mentioning 
uh, are the ones who don't buy into that. They, they, they find it insulting somehow intellectually to even try <laughs> that, like, yeah. trivial, like, is it A, B, C, or D? You know, like, this is yeah. uh, insulting, I think, to a creative mind. And, and as yeah. a result, you know, the whole matrix of understanding and isolating, you know, gifted intellectual children, you know, mm -hmm. don't don't match up if they're creative and there's yeah, they're the, exactly. the creative mechanisms are the ones that I think, you know, produce and accelerate uh, ideas and Absolutely. innovations and so on. But yeah. I but mean, yeah. And it's, it is, yeah. it's, but I really like this idea of like, and yet creating like a, a university, you know what I mean? It's like, you kind of as, as tragic and shitty and like difficult as, as like the content of the, the way something is within yeah. our contemporary condition, you still have to like fight for the, like a right how to do it, you know, something. Totally. Yeah. And, and we're, yeah. we're, we're, we face that in t internal to GCAS. We have a, like 400, yeah. 450 close core members. And we have this debate going on, like, should mm -hmm. we even do accreditation? Because that requires us to conform to a kind of colonialist structure and of how education is commodified. And ultimately, like, how is it a, accessible or re how can you evaluate objective learnings and that that mm -hmm. all that top-down model determines the yeah. classroom structure right and so we have this healthy debate going on and this is one of the reasons why we have the nonprofit side and the for the limited side where you know we we're going to go through the accreditation with one side but always keep open the experimental side so it's a kind of yeah. a dialectical structure yeah I don't know. There's a I don't know who, who says this, Pete says this a lot. It's like being part of the system, but not of it. You know, yep. there's a lot of people who like reject the world entirely, but then like, what are you going to do? You know, you yeah. have to sit on a telephone participate. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to participate, like engage in life, the rough and tumble, like engage yeah. with the public, but then not let it completely colonize your very, very being That's or right. like destroy yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. It's really tricky but i mean it's interesting with this film obviously this film touches on subjects of like alienation exploitation all these things and it's like how you know through essentially um you know the technologization of our economy and it's like how do we how do we live in this new world we were talking about apple products the pros are mostly cons oh <laughs> just before we started recording oh but it's like how do we use this fact that we have all this amazing technology and all these developments all these things that we can do yeah within this world where everything has a price tag and not even that it's not even like it's you know obviously the the traditional criticisms of capitalism is that you know it reduces everything to a commodity sure. but it's almost like even worse now because yeah. through clever marketing uh tech companies have basically managed to prevent anybody from having profits aside from them because nobody shares in the in the process of production Absolutely. Or no, yeah. So it's, yeah. uh, and you know, this whole from data, you know, data mining, um, mm -hmm. you know, selling what we like on social media to companies that can target, you know, really advanced marketing targets that come across our screens. You know, this whole, this whole mechanism from tech that you're mentioning alienation, commodification, and the film itself is really good. Mm -hmm. It's a really amazing, but tragic and sometimes difficult. Lots of triggers going on there for people who grew up in, in a working class, super struggling. You can't afford to get sick. Everything's in a precarity that 
anything goes wrong, it's like a domino effect and it just collapses. You know, and it turns out like I actually did, you know, so the film itself is about this, this family and uh, working class, the guy's not educated. He's worked, he's even dug graves. He's done odd jobs to make ends meet. He has a family and he's a good guy. Like he's committed to the family. The mm -hmm. spouse is committed. She has an amazing heart of empathy. And the, the main scene in the family is around the, the, the table. It's around food. And there's two children, uh, Liza and uh, Sebastian. And Sebastian's like in his early teens, maybe 14. And I think Liza's a bit younger, maybe seven, eight, nine, something like that, would you say? Yeah. Um, and so you, you have this family that you can immediately connect with. And the guy is trying to find work. He can't find work. He wants to work on his own. And the trick of capitalism is if you can feel like you have the choice, a choice, if you're free to have a choice, then that's a good thing. But it turns out that <laughs> the choice the guy has mm -hmm. is to buy, a, ultimately the choice is fake, right? Mm -hmm. uh, to buy this van that he needs to invest in to be able to deliver packages on time, uh, directed by a, speaking of tech, you know, directed by this box, essentially like just GPS super powered machine that can say when a package is delivered, when it's not, and so on. And he's ultimately operating not as a free subject to decide for himself, mm -hmm. but determined by a, a logic that is yeah. corporatized, top yeah. down. And boy, it's such a struggle. You know, I used to deliver packages. Yeah. When, I, when I had my first child, I dropped out of college in my senior year at Calvin Mm -hmm. and got married and delivered packages, not at Federal Express, but their competitor at the time was Airborne Express. Okay. And I was responsible for delivering packages on the West Coast of Michigan. And for like four months, I drove and, and I did the exact same thing this guy was doing. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. like deja vu going on for me. Yeah, yeah. And um but at the end of the day, it was enough for us to make enough money to get me through the rest of college. So it was yeah. a, it was a mean to an end. I mean, I saw some statistic yesterday where like, if uh, minimum wage jobs in the US had, I'm, you know, obviously there's various statistics, various statistics, yeah. this was just one, yeah. had grown at the rate of inflation since 1960. Today, it wouldn't be $7.25, it would be $20.50. Sure. But it, I just love this idea of like the illusion of choice and talking about, you know, how essentially through clever market marketing, hippie design, you know, sleep pods and sleek uh, polo necks, um, we've been yep. sold the illusion of choice. And basically we've just been, you know, we have these monopolies operating at, at, at a level that not even pre-antitrust 19th century Vanderbilts were, were, were no. you know, operating. Yeah. And one of the one of the illusions is this idea of self being a self-employed or a freelancer, and I think they call it a franchisee. Yes, but that's all right. it means is you have no rights as a worker. You have no yeah. no that's right. breaks. No, no. Yeah. you don't no get holiday. if you get injured if you get injured on the job, it's yeah. on you, right? It's mm -hmm. it, it's like the whole responsibility of the job side isn't we're you're part of our team and we're going to take care of you. It's no. Mm -hmm. 
this is a freaking rat race and you're a rat yeah. and I'm a bigger rat yeah. than you and you better yeah. like hustle your ass off so that, yeah. And it's, it's I mean, it's so totally responsibilization. Wrenchy. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. You, you're no longer responsible just for the productivity of your own job. You know, you're, you're your own manager, which is like a whole other, you know, um, but it's interesting because like that, that, that illusion of, of self-employment, obviously you see, you know, you have a, the two or three successful influencers who can float around on and just take YouTube photos and sit on a beach. It, this is the lie, obviously, of capitalism, but it, show, it works for such a tiny minority. And, you know, this is something talking more politically about, you know, pre-elections in recent years. Um, and identity politics, the rise of identity politics over solidarity oh. and um, oh, redistribution. Right. Yeah. ignored in favor of representation you know the the fact that basically capital it's so unlikely for you to change your class under capitalism it's so unlikely for you to succeed which yeah. is the reason you know that people would rather be oh it's because i'm a woman that's why i haven't succeeded you know that's a, that's a simple um scapegoat excuse, yeah, you know, that's excuse right. for something that's much more pervasive and of course you know there are problems with racism like of course there are problems with yeah you know sexism and all those kinds of things but and the real core issue is this this fantasy world we live in Absolutely. that you know you buy into because of this lost object of this I may be made transcendentally happy because I may be this one survivor but you or, know even to you have your selfie shots that you can I mean th these are becoming more and more therapeutic or cathartic where if you can take a shot of like a celebrity that you're seeing and, you know, the celebrity is just annoyed as shit, but you're like, Hey, here I am, you know, and mm. you're like, you can pose, you can construct a different fantasy world very easily in a way that doesn't match up with, you know, the brutal reality that the, the rent is due, you know, your child's going through difficulties with learning disabilities to drugs. And I mean, it, you know, it, the the funny the weirdest thing about social media for me is or one of the weirdest things is just how easily it is to not be real and mm -hmm. to project these these kinds of realities that don't exist but yet everyone wants to wants to see somebody with like everybody wants to play mm -hmm. the game and yeah. nobody's willing to like talk across these platforms about yeah. like the truth of the difficulty of surviving mm -hmm. in capitalism, surviving today. Absolutely, and it's funny because the, the, of course, there's a sort of release valve or illusory version of this and capitalism is all about illusion, like illusory emancipation, illusory choice, illusory leftism, illusory radicalism. But the illusion is, I, this is my honesty post where, oh, I woke up this morning and I felt depressed and stuff. But the one thing that you can't talk about in capitalism is, material struggle to survive like that's totally. the that's the one thing that will yeah. not be the actual crux of it Absolutely. but you know you could say i've got a headache not i'm an alienated subject or, right like, i can't <laughs> afford this it's like uh, i i'm a victim because i'm a woman and i'm sad about it <laughs> you or, can say or that. even like white men are like starting yeah. to say oh i'm a victim because i'm a white male because yeah. these liberals these educated liberals are trying to trying to make me into, you know, make me the enemy or something like this. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating how this all gets played out. And it's very complicated how it gets played out in terms of identity politics that you mentioned, mm -hmm. but also in terms of like race, uh, you know, these very facile differences mm -hmm. be mm -hmm. perceptually, but also, and I think you're totally right about this, like 
you can't talk about money. You can't talk about the mode of production at such. Mm-hmm. It's like it's yeah. like the old James Bond films. You know, you go down, <laughs> into, you know, you go to, you go down into the Mister Evil's uh, chambers in the yeah. cave under the yeah. volcano or something, and you finally get to see the mode of production behind the evil empire that's trying yeah. to create the. But th- this, you you get to see the mode of production in that sense, but you don't see the modes of production in you know, everyday suburbia, right? And Absolutely. Um, and, you know, this this plays into education. Like, yeah. if it, it turns out, and we've done a, multiple surveys about this, it turns out that if a student actually gets into uni in the U.S., they're going to go into debt, but they're happy to do that because them signing the debt note to a bank or to the government or whomever is actually mm-hmm. a sign of success. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and it's it's paradoxical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're successful if you go into debt, Absolutely. as opposed to yeah. as opposed to no, I'm not going to go yeah. into debt at all. So, it's, it's a really clever marketing ploy. Like this totally. is the way the shape shifting of capitalism, how it always shifts around yeah. this question of the means of production. You know, um, what was one that was a recent one that I thought? Oh yeah, the idea of work. So. Um, it's now a status symbol to be busy and to be working at a time, you know, 200, 300 years ago, or even more recently, let's say an upper, upper middle class woman, it would be, you know, you, you are the really elite because you don't have to work. But now, yeah. you know, um, it is aspiration for, for wealthy young people to set up a business. And obviously it's an illusion because, you know, totally they haven't struggled to raise the money, you know, they're already able to, to work. But, um, and also, you know, as we have a contracting job, market um or job posts obviously because of tech you know it it really is elite to have a to have a job to be a working person you know yeah and you know and you have to demonstrate that you're a worker all the time yeah and again like you said like 19th century woman you know leisure that's the birth of the novel let's say you know you can you have the leisure time to read the novel Mm -hmm. and nowadays it's like if you if you're not into yoga or doing hot yoga or not doing like some Pilates, some kind of mm-hmm. you know thing going on, creating a podcast, like all these podcasts yeah. proliferating, absolutely, you know, it, it's all it's all playing this game and absolutely, ridiculous. and it's you know, talk about the the commodification of education. So it's the commodification of, of childhood essentially. You know, even yeah. things like becoming an NCAA athlete, like unpaid hours, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But um. The, and all the, all the people, who, you know, the sacrifice made by those who don't quote unquote make it. But um, what was I going to say that the, oh yeah, so even things like self-care, this is that, you know, where it's interesting because things that seem radical, obviously, unless they address the key question, they're not radical, they're adopted by capitalism. So when you think of something like rad, um, so uh, self-care and you, you know, you hashtag radical self-care, hashtag you know, I take care of myself and therefore I'm, you know, this is a way for me to be outside of capitalism. It's like, no, self-care is designed for you to be ready to be a better productive subject. That's right. You know, it's like obviously not conducive to capital eventually. And obviously there's a, there's always an antagonism that will lead to its demise as as Marx always points out, but you know, we can't have people who can't work anymore because they're also fucking exhausted you know no shit so, exactly exactly but like even you know the the, the apple watch it's like a way to commodify oh every single second how many calories what's my heart rate is it the optimal yeah. how many you paces know? steps did i take today exactly you know you have yeah. siri like the other day i was i was sleeping and siri came on because mm-hmm. i had a i i always i like to listen to novels 
being mm-hmm. read out loud as I'm sleeping. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just a stupid quirky thing I have yeah. going on. And, uh, the, somehow the, in the manuscript, it said something that triggered Siri to come on. And so <sighs> Siri is coming on, you know, may I help you? And then suddenly I'm just like, I literally have this dream. I, I don't know how time, I don't know if you've ever had a dream where, mm-hmm you wake up to an event that's happened, but you've also dreamt about that event as yeah, it was yeah, happening, exactly. something exactly, like this, yeah. the blended, yeah, yeah, yeah. the blended. <laughs> yeah. And I was dreaming that I was inside Siri. Like I became Siri's brain. And so yeah. it, was weird. it was weird to wake up to that whole thing. And, yeah. but you're right. I mean, all these things, um, you know, c- keeping our time, you know, really, it, it used to be the case where, you would work enough hours to be able to eat and shelter yourself and ultimately fuck somebody so they could reproduce the race. And, and that was it. You didn't have that surplus value that you could bank. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in the end, like, let's face it, most Americans, four out of five Americans are either at the poverty level or they're they're one paycheck or one month Mm -hmm. away from poverty. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, but you can't, again, you can't talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this whole articulation of time, 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 and the the Baldriardi and simulacra of like I can reproduce myself to make myself look successful, mm-hmm. you know, is is so. I, I think it's creating these multiple personalities, many mm-hmm. personality disorders going on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In a, way, in a way, you can't be, and and it's not like we're trying to get back to the romantic Heideggerian view of. The self was in the in, in the end is a center mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. its absolute mastery of itself, right? That mm-hmm. that also is problematic. Yeah. yeah. But but so you have these kind of flows going on. And yeah. Ultimately, they're conflicting, and this mm-hmm. t- the watch you were mentioning, you know, all these things that are measuring out how successful we are during that day or not. Mm-hmm. How many calories yeah. did you eat? How many fucking, yeah. how many goddamn like baguettes did you have? And so, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's, so, it's ridiculous. It's, yeah. But it's interesting. Um, there are a couple of things that you mentioned that really uh, sparked something for me. Um, so, well, there's a, the couple, the first one, just about the Siri thing, you know, obviously the managerial positions being being like sequestered off into this like non-human obviously to question how human a manager is when they have a human face but they still have to basically be obedient to, to profit yeah. um and this is something that's in the film but there's something about um so never being able to mention what the key antagonism is and the thing that i think is cool about ken loach today like i've not been a fan historically but there is no. a sense and you notice this sometimes in academia with people who are tenured professors and what they're able to say and the more, you know, bi-generation proletarianized, like younger people fighting for tenure. And so they can't criticize the corporate structure. And Absolutely. so they'll like sequester their, you know, I don't know, their, you know, their opinions or their, what, they, what they are able to say into things that actually yeah. confirm the condition, yeah. which have the appearance of radicality. But Loach, potentially because of his position, and this is, you know, you touched on the idea, okay, we have like a material question and then there's more kind of like questions of the unconscious and subjectivity. So like from a material sense, and obviously like I call my, I would say like I'm like the dialectical materialist position, but I will obviously like analyze things like from a material perspective, but like like he obviously is secure in his position. You know, this movie screened at Cannes and obviously, you know, when you're within the industry, you can kind of see, things that tend to be screened in festivals, et cetera, <laughs> that are conceded to the industry. And there is a, like a, 
um, a real, not necessarily deliberate, but obviously materially speaking, deliberate suppression of anything that touches too closely on the raw wound of, of surplus value. And yeah. Loach does this in this film. You know, he really does it. And, and because of potentially who he is, slash maybe being braver in his older age. How do you, how do you think he does that? Like, in what way do you think he does that? He touches on that surplus value, the wound. Well, he, he really points out. Yeah. So for instance, like it's rare. So they talk a lot about like marginalized voices on screen. So fantastic. You know, we have in the past, we saw a certain type of person. And of course we can have all these different people on screen, but how marginal is, you know, an upper, upper middle class person? Well, yeah. you know, the working class is, you know, marginal, more precarious, more Absolutely. marginal. You know, these are white working class people who are often, you know, who really one could say, um, and I don't even know if you could use the term working class. I feel like a lot of terms are losing their meaning. I mean, do you call working class somebody who is self-employed, precarious Amazon driver? Um, because working class, you know, denotes some sense of like you have a profession or a trade or an ability to, to survive paycheck right. to paycheck. Like a plumber, electrician, a, yeah, absolutely. a mechanic. Yeah, yeah. But this, um, this movie, you know, he really, I mean, it's so rare today to see on in film within oh like a, you know a well-funded yes because we're always it, it's film. always sensationalized the you know growing up in the 80s for me it was mm -hmm. like these television programs of of wonderful families the cosby yeah. cosby show to these amazing beautiful wealthy families and you're so you live into that fantasy world and mm -hmm. even in loach's film that we're reviewing a bit here is you know, this whole idea, like if I go into debt to get the van to be mm -hmm. able to drive the packages, eventually I'm gonna, we're gonna make it to the next level and mm -hmm. we won't have to rent an apartment, we can buy a house. So at mm -hmm. the end of the day, the, the end goal is to buy a house, but that's clearly never gonna happen mm -hmm. under the yeah, normal absolutely. conditions. Absolutely. I know, yeah, this, this film really brings to the fore the, the illusion essentially. But it's funny because it is like totally bleak. And the ending, obviously, generally in a film, you have a resolution. You either have, like, you know, a consolation yeah. or a clear tragic incident or, you know, yeah. some, some proper, you know, I just say proper, that's not the right word, but like some, yeah. you know, raised up into some happier place. Sure. But, you know, there's nothing. But, but you, your, films, your films do something yeah, similar, actually. I know, I know, I know. And this is why I kind of like it. It's like, I, I, uh, I... My personal position is I think that um, film is an immensely humane and, you know, visceral universalist medium through which, you know, there's an opportunity to convey a universalism of the lag, which I think yeah. is like what is needed in terms of like, uh, like that, I, as far as I can tell right now, I don't think that can be commodified upon and that is like, yeah, but I think I, there is something about your films, this film, but the, the whole idea of the lack yeah. that resists a certain form of commodification. Now, yeah. in a way, it, it's always outside the closure of the symbolic or what can be closed. Yeah. And that's fascinating. Yeah. In fact, that that's, gets on to what you're, you're, you're going to be teaching a seminar on the universal lack film. And yeah. that'll be really interesting using McGowan's uh, work yeah. and some of your own film work. That'll be super interesting to figure, yeah. 
think through. But you know, for me, I'm always I'm always wanting a like I desire that resolution, that mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. of like, you know, you you're riding that horse, victory is yours. Like, what do you call um the gladiator effect, you yeah. know, where yeah. where yeah. you ultimately come back and you kill the you kill that yeah. which is holding you back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I exactly I, the things I think there's like uh not like obviously i really enjoy movies like that you know movies can be about escapism enjoyment yeah. like yeah. Yeah. um something more because the funny thing is i almost think like this film was so 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 bleak and obviously i think zizek we mentioned this last week on yeah. our episode with todd that zizek talks about like you can only make a comedy out of the most tra- tragic situations in life because a tragedy sure. requires somebody to be at least like the ability to have a hero and then have some kind of agency but i always feel like this if you actually think about it, this film could could be even bleaker than it actually is. Like, what if he had taken the um, financing of the vehicle? <laughs> like, what was it like two grand a month? He could either get yeah. his own van at four hundred pounds a month, or get a company vehicle at two grand right. a month. Yeah. And um, yeah, but thank God it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I oh my God! Much. But you know, you do bring up a good point about comedy, like. It, there was there yeah. was no comedy going on at all. The happiest part mm-hmm. of that film was that meal they had. It was a falafel meal with like really spicy foods. They were joking around. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it was actually very, for me, it was very heartwarming to see that. It, that yeah. felt to me like I could connect with them. I would be, you know, sitting around that table and there, mm-hmm. at that moment, it was a it was a short scene, but it was an important scene. And I think for th- yeah. that was the point. It, that was the point of departure for the tragedy to unfold. Set off against that that moment with yeah. connection. Yeah, absolutely. There's almost like a you know a, a juxtaposition. But that's the thing. I think like film has the ability to show like a solidarity, as in like with both you know in terms of like the viewer so like the kind of metaphysics of how it works but also yeah. within the film the story itself you know yeah. how you can you can kind of like um have a communion around shared shared yeah, lack and then right. that can be a galvanizing force at some kind of like semi-resolution I think. yeah i mean and, and maybe that's you know that's what all we can expect it's just those moments of just those really short clips of connection and, you know, this whole idea that everything's got to make sense all the time and it's all got to be on the up and we all have to be fucking happy every every bit of the day. This is, you know, part of the mm-hmm. problem. I think psychologically, yeah. we, we measure our lives against that sense of happiness, against success, against material mm-hmm. wealth. And, and we're, mm-hmm. we're never going to win that game. Absolutely. Actually, there's one last, I know you have to have to get on. There's this one that made me think of this idea of, you know, Freud's ordinary unhappiness and how within our society, you know, talking about fantasy a lot and, you know, self-commodification and perpetually posting about how wonderfully happy you are on social media. You know, there's a real schizophrenia or like, I think, um, I haven't read the book, but I know Darian Leaders talked about like the bipolar nature of contemporary capitalism because you have this, but then we also have to have this perpetual fire under our feet of like apocalypticism instead of being able to just like experience like the much more dreary nature of reality which is kind of like order and unhappiness and then and you know talking about like you know as we're talking about education do you completely throw everything out and just say fuck you i'm not going to be part of that world i'm not going to engage in it or do you kind of accept the difficulties 
the antagonisms, the fact it's not going to be perfect, the fact that there are difficulties and build something on that kind of rock bottom of ordinary unhappiness, you know. Something like that. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. funny to, as we built GCAS from the ground up, you know, going through years of just hardly any money at all, but, you know, and using the graces, even of Pete for a time, he and Jack Caputo uh, taught a seminar for us a couple of years ago, right, right around when Badu taught his seminar. And, you know, it was just like, and you don't want to take advantage of people's intellectual capacities and be- beautiful insights. But without that early on, there's no way for us, unless you have a million bucks. And that's the whole weird paradox of doing education. There's a lot of like freeloaders who want to get into education because they know they can get secured loans from the government through their students. And uh-huh. so, you know, it's a money ma- it's a money yeah. making machine like the Trump University. Absolutely. This is Absolutely. a money maker. And what we yeah. wanted to do is flip that on its head. How can we how can we do education that's debt free? And ultimately that meant, you know, we have to share in ownership together. You know, it's, there's a little com- communal thing, although I'm not in any way a communist or a Marxist mm-hmm. or a socialist or a capitalist. Like I try, to, I try to avoid those kind of labels, even though that is itself a label. I realize that, mm-hmm. but I'm a nihilist, but that's a label that means something. Okay, you can never escape yeah, this, yeah. You know, yeah. this kind of labeling, but Anyway, but it's been a, it's, I really appreciate uh, your podcast with Adrian. I'm sorry he couldn't get on today, but it's been, it's been great to listen to what you're talking about. I really enjoy your, the cleverness uh, of your insights and your guests and Adrian's work and (laughs) It's really great. No, I, I pre- think it I actually. Yeah. Being on here. I mean, right. we 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 are probably like the world's worst like business people. So we just do it. We do it when we can, and like we keep trying to say, oh, yeah, okay. If you're listening, please give us a review. Some kind, even if you don't like it. Give us yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, like and subscribe, whatever you say. But um, oh it was God. interesting, you know, that just that question of like labels, you know, that, and I think that's something you touched upon, like you know, there's a completely elusive nature to, to, to the world we live in as human subjects and obviously like signifiers and the yeah. symbolic is like, you know, something we can cling on to to make meaning. But, um, you know, all of these movements, communism, socialism, et cetera, et cetera, you know, they can become like a right wing deviation of the left. You know, as soon totally. as you kind of totally concretize it, you, you paper over the antagonism, you kind of, instead of bringing the contradiction to the fore, but yeah. of course, that's something that, you know, the, 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 it's funny, you know, capitalism, obviously, like we, we swim in this sea, we can't see it. Maybe we know it's there, but, you know, yeah. really, it's, it's papering over antagonism, essentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. and, and these, this whole idea of like labels and capturing, like we are put into a precarity in a way that we're see, we always seek, as Freud mm-hmm. would commonly refer to as this the security, you know, the protection of the father is what he would call it, but mm-hmm. the protection of some kind of strong, secure being, which is where you lead into dictators and so on. And people who are feeling fragile, and let's face it, most of us, if at the end of the day, are fragile mm-hmm. beings, um, we, we, we tend to drift to, you know, these labels behind which we feel secure. Like, well, I'm an orthodox Marxist, or I'm a socialist, or I'm xyz and you know in the end you i think labels these whole ideas uh these ideologies are lazy because 
they they seek security and it's mm-hmm. it's not game over per se but it's it's like the exploration of what a human can become who you can become mm-hmm. okay maybe this mm-hmm. is capitalist fantasy who <laughs> are you but yeah. but for me for me at least i find it boring to hide behind yeah things now sometimes yeah, you know, i used to love being an anarchist christian when i was going through grad school yeah john yeah. you know my advisor milbank i'm an anarchist christian john milbank and he was like well <laughs> you you come around young boy you'll come around to the to the you know, anglican way eventually yeah. you know and you know i i don't know i i yeah maybe it's a luxury not to have to be able to have these labels i don't know but i know i know but the thing is it's like there is a question of like how anti-human labels are because essentially like humans are because of antagonism like that's why we're human subjects because of like the chaos of the universe and yeah any attempt to obviously but then we have like we have to we what do we have we have language to communicate with each other but i know i think the thing is that the question is it's like just considering the unconscious and considering antagonism is like what we can do and i guess that's why you know i you know, went to, went to kind of like uh, filmmaking over academia and that like, uh, although I think, you know, academic stuff can be hugely creative, but for me it was like, and, and, and also, you know, narrative can be like extremely ideological. So I don't think one is necessarily yeah. one than the other, but when I was a bit younger, I thought that perhaps this was more complicated and you can explore yeah. complicated ideas and you need complication yeah. in order to create a work. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but, and, you know, you don't want to, you don't feel, com- like, I think we're designed to not feel comfortable in contradiction. And yet, mm-hmm. it's the contradictions, as Hegel's uh, phenomenology of spirit, which reads like a novel, you know, the plot is mm-hmm. the spirit, the main character, and you're, you're, you're watching this yeah. character, like, direct from itself and recreate itself through, you know, as it's unfolding throughout history. Um, but, you know, these, these, these developments of the working through contradictions and being able to, I think, find some kind of not pleasure, maybe enjoyment in the, the diaramptive moment of contradiction. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's what, like, even our conversation today is a kind Mm -hmm. of play in the enjoyment of contra of realizing how shitty the world is, but we're able to fucking, we're able to fucking enjoy this shit about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, exactly. That's right. Go, we've sold everything. Okay, good. End of story. (laughs) Goodbye. Talk to you. I'll I'll send you a bill for. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, really good to talk to you. Let's keep it going. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to your class, and it's really been great to chat with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was really, really wonderful. Okay, speak soon, Creston. Ciao, ciao. Okay, bye, bye, bye.